Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. I'm also your book junkie, cat wrangler. I hope that you're here to see my next fabulous guest, Cadwell Turnbull. Cadwell, welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so happy. Cadwell's book, new book, is called No Gods, No Monsters. It is an amazing bit of writing in the fantasy genre, but not the kind of fantasy that I'm used to reading. Cadwell, what I noticed about your book is that you take present day situations and address them using the fantasy genre. Start from the beginning and tell me about your writing path. Will you please? My writing path. How, what's the beginning? Um, okay. So I could go way back. I could talk about, you know, elementary school. Um, where do you want me to begin? Where do you want to begin? Where do you, where did your path to writing, your desire to write come from? Okay. So, you know, when I was a kid, I thought I, I wanted to be a scientist, you know, and I think the reason why I thought that that was the right profession for me was because, um, I was just interested in how the world worked. I was curious. And, um, so I thought that for up until eighth grade and, um, what happened was one of my, um, my English teacher, um, Mrs. Jones, um, assigned us, um, to read Anne Frank, the diary of Anne Frank and write an essay about it. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't know what, how big and important that book was. So I, you know, procrastinated on it. I didn't read it until like maybe the, the weekend before it was due. And then I read it and it, it like, it gutted me. It floored me. I had never read anything like that before. And so it opened up this kind of, you know, well inside of me. And I poured all of that into the essay I wrote. I just like let my feelings go. And I, you know, submitted that essay to my teacher and, you know, she, she looked at it and she kind of pulled me aside and she was like, have you ever considered, you know, being a writer? This is, this is the truth. This is the truth. And I, um, I was like, no. And, but after she said that, and she was like, this is a really great essay. I think you could pursue this. I couldn't get it out of my head. I started, you know, writing on my own time, started writing stories. I started writing my own essays and, you know, it kind of, you know, grew from there, you know, undergrad, graduate school, all through that, you know, it was um, the thing that I wanted to pursue. What were you reading during this time? Because obviously you said this was an eighth grade assignment. You'd mm-hmm. never read a book like the Diary of Anne Frank. Were you a reader before that? Or did that spur you on to want to read a lot of different things? I wasn't really a reader. I was I was a watcher of TV. Um, to be honest. And, um, I mean, that was the first book that I read that someone else had given to me that, you know, affected me profoundly. And I found, you know, it's a very, it's a, you know, a very personal book, very human book, but also very political is dealing with, you know, really big, you know, stuff. And, um, you know, in high school, I read 1984 and Brave New World and, you know, a bunch of other books, but it was the, it was the, the you know the science fiction books or the you know the spec sure. books that affected me, and then also the books that were focused on politics. They were looking at the world and asking questions about social system and how we how we form and live within society. And you know because those things affected me the most, I I thought about that in my own writing, and it you know kind of 
as you can tell, you know, it's, it's in all of, it's everywhere within the things that I, I try to write. It's ev- so your, your, uh, passion for writing includes all those things mm-hmm. that you pulled in. So yes, it was fiction, but really it was about society too and our place in society and how society behaves with us. Is that correct? Right. Right. Even before, you know, reading the diary of Anne Frank, I was curious about that. I, I always would, um, you know, I, would, I was a kid that would ask my mom strange questions. It's like, right. so why do we do this? Or what's, what does this mean? You know? And, um, it was because to me, society itself was a really strange thing. Um, living within a society, um, you know, having all of these, you know, having your own cultural context and then having all of these worlds outside of your cultural context. I, you know, would watch a lot of TV with my mom as well. And so I would just ask questions about like, you know, um, have you, I remember seeing snow for the first time, for example, I grew up in the Virgin Islands. Right. And so, you know, asking what that felt like, you know, and, you know, how, how people live in those places and that sort of thing. And so being that kind of kid and reading stuff that was talking about the world and how people live within the world, that stuff was, you know, that was what spoke to me. Do you have siblings, Cadwell? Yeah, I'm the baby. So the I have baby. a, yeah, I have a um, an older sister. She's the middle child and an older brother. Um, are they readers and writers or creatives in their own right? They're artists. So my my brother is a graphic designer and so is my sister. Um she does more computer um graphics. My my brother's like um, you know, he grew up drawing everything and looking at everything. And, you know, he was extremely talented. And for a while, because I looked up to him, I tried drawing and you know, I got decent. I was not like him at all. But um yeah, both of them are artists. My mom is an artist as well. Um, but I'm the only writer. But it's so all, you're all creative and that's wonderful. Yeah. So your writing is shaped by your worldview. And you came from really the U.S. Virgin Islands are fairly small. They're beautiful, but a very insular. Mm-hmm. When did you move and come to America? And what, how did that impact your worldview then? So, you know, when I was in high school, I was in a marching band and we had um, a few um, marching band field trips we would go and compete in the in the US mm-hmm. um and so i had the opportunity of experiencing the, the state side is how, right. what we call it back home because sure. with the USVI um in like brief stints you know for a few weeks at a time i didn't really live in in the states until um i was 18 i went away to college um and i lived in pittsburgh um pennsylvania for four four and a half years um, and it was, it was a culture shock. It's just very different. You know, like it's, it's starkly different. You know, I saw snow for the first time. Right. When I was there, I was say, sure. Yeah. And you were in a big city, which in the U S Virgin islands, which I visited, it's beautiful, fabulous place, but there are no big cities cause it's a small Island. Um, how did you do culturally? Yeah. It's interesting, you know, growing up on St. Thomas, you know, it's only, you know, 30, 30, 38 square miles. Right. Um, but it felt really big to me. Like you could, if we were taking a trip to, to the countryside to go visit family, it, it could be like an hour's drive. And to me, that felt really long. Like it felt like, you know, 
this was this really big place, you know, and going back to the Virgin Islands, especially, you know, when I started writing about home, I realized there were so many things that I took for granted and I thought I knew that I didn't, you know, there's, there's a way that even small places kind of like sprawl and spread out the more you look at them. Sure. You know, there's like the, the oldest um, Jewish synagogue in the, in the Western hemisphere is on St. Thomas. And I did not know that it's in downtown Charlotte Amali. Um, but, you know, going to Pittsburgh, it felt, it felt big in a way that, you know, everything took a long time to get to, you know, I remember driving, taking the the drive from the airport to the school. And it was like, it was 45 minutes by itself, you know, and, you know, anywhere that I wanted to go that was outside of Pittsburgh took, took hours and, that blew me away. Highways blew me away. Um, the thing that blew me away the most is, is language. Um, there was things that we, we, um, on St. Thomas, we have like a St. Tomian dialect. It's like a yeah. St. Tomian English. And I grew up understanding that and thinking of it as normal. And though I watched a lot of TV, it never occurred to me that the language that I was watching on TV was that different from mine. You know, it just, they both felt like the same thing. Um, and my, I remember the first time, you know, talking to someone and they had difficulty understanding what I was saying and having to make a, make that adjustment, um, was really, you know, a huge culture shock for me, realizing there were certain things and mannerisms, um, that I thought was really normal. That was outside of its context, very different, um, to other people was also, you know, shocking. You know, it's a lot of that. Um, you live on an island that was very beautiful, very lush, very verdant, small roads, you know, winding through the hills and everything. It's beautiful there. I love it. And here you're plunk dab in the center of a concrete jungle, essentially, which had to be geographically jarring for you as well. You've got all these highways and, you know, road systems and crazy traffic and everything else. Um, how did you, how did your writing become influenced by where you live were living then in Pittsburgh? That's interesting. I'm gonna be honest. So I didn't start writing about home until grad school. So a lot of the things that I I modeled my own fiction off of was things that I had either read or watched. And so most of my stuff was set in the states you know the the thing the difference was that they were kind of like generic stateside locations so like yeah. you know like an apartment complex or the road you know you know there was not like a sense of geography or where things were and what things looked like um and that only i only started thinking about that stuff once i started writing about home and thinking about what home looks like and feels like um what the experience of living in a place like that is like um so my fiction you know, all through undergrad was very abstract. I would say it was, there was not a lot of concrete detail. It was, it was a lot of people sitting in rooms talking about their feelings or their ideas. Um, Did you have a chance to travel to other cities in the United States while you were an undergrad? Not really. Everything seemed so far away and I didn't drive, you know? So I think that, you know, 
when I was an undergrad, I had a friend that lived in like a um like a little town outside of Pittsburgh. Like there was it was maybe a few hours away and he took me home once and you know, um that was a really interesting experience. It was very rural, you know, so it was it was it was different than seeing, you know, living and being around a city area. It was um everything was it kind of in some ways reminded me of home, that kind of like energy right. of being a little in a bit small more, place. A little bit more simple or life rather than yeah. such an urban hustle and bustle and, and people moving at a fast pace all the time. Mm-hmm. How did you do with um, mixing with other cultures in, in college? Because they have big, the schools are big and, you know, especially up in the Northeast and in the Midwest schools are huge and a lot of different people go to those from all over the world. How, what was that experience like for you? So I went to La Roche college now La Roche university, and it was, um, it's a small co- Catholic private college in the North Hills of Pittsburgh. So, um, um, there was a couple other schools I was considering, but I chose that school specifically because it was smaller. And I thought that it was going to be a better adjustment for me than a big school. But even with someplace like La Roche University, it was the difference between having hundreds of people in my school. This is, you know, my high school isn't very big at all. Um, and having like thousands of people. And so it was, it was like even the, the size of, a small college in Pittsburgh was like a lot for me. You know, it, it, it was, to me, it, just, it felt massive. Um, but La Roche was also, you know, had like a really good, you know, international population. Oh, so there good. was people from everywhere. And that's one of the reasons I knew about it was because a recruiter came, came down to the Virgin Islands and talked to us wow. and he sold the school. And I was like, this school sounds awesome. But, you know, the recruiters were doing that all over. And so we, so, you know, I met my wife there. She's from Nepal. Um, oh, how wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I met, you know, you know, I had some friends from Rwanda and Ghana and Equatorial Guinea, um, all through South America as well. Um, you know, a lot of Caribbean friends. You know, I had a, a, a big group of Jamaican friends and we would we would get into arguments all the time um, about our, our differences, you know, because to us, those, those things were really big. Of and course. So, um, yeah, it it was it was a beautiful experience being around all of those different kinds of people, you know, people that spoke multiple languages and different languages and had a whole different like, you know, customs and so on. Yeah. Yeah, customs. Was, yeah. Had you had that experience that international experience on the US Virgin Islands because it is a huge destination for cruise ships, I know. I don't know that you'd interact with tourists that much, but did you have your share of that or was this really kind of in your face, overwhelmingly different? It was overwhelmingly different yeah. to me back home. You know, I interacted with tourists back home. You know, my mom worked at the legislature. Um, and so, and that's, that's right on the waterfront. And so mm-hmm. going, walking to her job after school, I had to walk through you know, basically, you know, Main Street is a tourist tourism district. Right, right. And so I would, you know, see tourists and occasionally meet some tourists and stuff like that. Um, but they were, they all felt like, <laughs> I hate to say it this way, generically American to me. Like right. they, they just felt like Americans. They were. Um, right. <laughs> they were. Most likely they all were. Um, I And I think that I didn't know enough about the world to, if I met someone that was from somewhere else and they were just happening to be speaking English. I would not have known that back then 
going back home now and I, you know, going through those same walks, um, I will occasionally hear people with accented English. Now I know that person is visiting from someplace further afield, you know, right. um, we used to be the Danish um, Virgin Islands. So sometimes people from Denmark come and visit. And sure. so, you know, it's this, there is a diversity there. I just didn't know it at the time. Interesting. I want to talk about your serious dive into writing a book. What was your first novel? Your first novel that you wrote, maybe not had published. Oh man, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> okay, in high school. Because you know something? The beginning is really just the beginning of your of your writing life, correct? Yeah. And yeah. you've got to make all the mistakes and you've got to have all the failures because that's the best kind of teacher. Right, right. So um my sister read a lot of urban fiction mm-hmm. um, when I was in high school. So this is just like, you know, you know. Urban fiction is is a smart way of saying, you know, Black people with relationship problems is basically what, you know, she would read. And because I had gotten into books and I um, I was interested in reading more books, I, I started picking up some of her books. And, you know, I remember reading a few books that I, you know, really liked. And so early on, I tried, you know, urban fiction stories, just stories about like, you know, young 20 somethings dealing with life and relationships. Like step cause your household pay and stuff like that. Yeah, right. I got it. And so um I wrote in high school this story about this guy that was going through a breakup, but he was still friends with his ex. And that, you know, I never finished it, but I, I would share it with some of my friends and my friends really liked it. And they were like, when are you going to finish it? And I was like, soon and just never did. Um and Why do you think you didn't book, finish? Why do you think you didn't finish? I was in high school. I honestly, I think, you know, I just didn't have the attention span for it. I think I only developed that muscle um, fairly recently. I would start all kinds of big projects and have all kinds of ambitious goals for them. And then they would kind of taper off. Maybe they weren't for you. Yeah, maybe, you know, looking back at it now, there wasn't enough going on in the story to keep my interest for something, you know, for a whole book. I see. Um, yeah. So your first published book was The Lesson? Yes. But you've been contributing to anthologies and literary magazines and all for quite a while now. And I know you're very, very popular. Your popularity has exploded since Lesson. So, and now you have this beautiful new book, No Gods, No Monsters. As I said earlier, one of the things that struck me about this, and you consider it a work of fantasy, and I understand why you do, but you touch on a lot of the very topical social issues of our day, and you use your, your world building to address those issues. Let's tell the audience a little bit about this book, please. No Gods, No Monsters. Right. Um, No Gods, No Monsters. And where your, where your, where this came to you and why you wrote this book the way you did. So everything, this is your stage. Okay. Yeah. A lot of why is, you know, happy accidents, you know, but, um, you know, no gods, no monsters is, you know, the way that I, I tend to talk about it when I'm, you know, trying to explain it to people because there's a lot going on in the book. There is a lot, Um, but it's, you know, the, the, the most general description of it is monsters are, are advocating for the human rights. It's like the civil rights era meets the modern day, but with vampires and werewolves and some, you know, Caribbean monsters mixed in. Um, 
And, and you know, it's it's also about how you know society adjusts to the idea that monsters are real and they they're coming out of the shadows and they're trying to you know find a place within the world. Um, but you know, it's also about like you know people dealing with addiction, people working through trauma. It's about you know big existential questions. It's about quantum mechanics for some reason. Um, it's about um, you know you know finding your place in the universe and finding um, versions of yourself in other people, um, living for other people. You know, and how do you remember people when they're gone? A lot of it is about loss, um, and then you know a lot of it is very political. It's um, you know because the monsters are trying to advocate for a space. With, for themselves within the world, they're doing they're doing a lot of political action in order to try to do that. It's um it's a fascinating book. Your prose is exquisite. Your dialogue, oh my gosh. Um, I don't know how many, how long it took you to write this book, but I want to just I told you I don't know normally touch on craft and everything, but I'm fascinated by. The process of writing. You know, I, I tell everyone this is the God's honest truth. I can barely get an email out without having to go back and spell check and, you know, make sure because it's just, I just can't do it. I, I am in awe of people who can write books. So, um, did this take you a long time? Did you have, so I'm going to ask you a series of questions real quick and then you can fill it in however you want, but, how did you develop this style of writing and know that you wanted to take those social and political issues and turn it into a work of fantasy? It's it's current urban fantasy as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the lesson took me seven years to write, um, but not, not all of that time I was writing. You know, a big right. chunks of that time I was avoiding the book. Um, this one, because I had pitched it to the publisher and I had a deadline, I had no time to avoid it. So it was, um, it took me 18 months to, wow. to finish, to finish working on it. And, you know, I'm currently working on the second one and it's, you know, it's new challenges and also similar challenges. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know for me, because I'm always asking questions about society when I started thinking about, well, if monsters were real, how would they have remained hidden? I imagine that they had to be social systems in place for them to remain hidden for so long. And then I also was like, well, if they're coming out into the world, how would the the larger world respond to them? And so, you know, to me, it seemed natural to look at a bunch of different people and see how each of those people would respond to this change either within themselves, if they were, you know, recently turned monster, or if they were, um, you know, interacting with monsters now in their life, like they, their loved ones were monsters, or they, they had relationships with monsters, or um, they were just in proximity to this, you know, this emergence of these, these, um, you know, preternatural beings. And because I was thinking about those questions, politics, immediately came in it it, to me you know i i usually start with the really fun idea i'm like oh vampires and werewolves that would be great you know and because i love those things i get excited about that you know with the lesson it was like oh i love aliens let's do aliens um but then eventually i start asking like real world questions and i'm like how how does that play out in a real world if i wanted to ground this in something that i feel like i could touch 
um, what would that be like? And the politics come in and the, the themes come in that way. It's a spectacular book. Uh, it is so magnificent. Um, I, I am sure that people are going to read this. Well, I was talking to Eric Pruitt and he said, I can't, I, the book is so stunning. I can't believe it. You know, he loves it. He loves it. Oh my it. gosh. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Thank you so much. Yeah. It's wonderful. I have to congratulate you on such a fantastic book. When you, you said you're working on your next book, are you, you're not doing a sequel or are you doing another standalone? So No Gods, No Monsters is the first of a trilogy. And I knew that, you know, pretty much early on because it's a big story I want to tell. Um, so this is the first book There's going to be, and I'm working on a second book right now. And the way that I've thought about it is the first book is about the humans. The second book is about the monsters. And the third book is about the gods. You know, the gods are are hanging around in this first book, but they're not really the central focus of the first book. Right. So it's, um, you know, having those different, you know, focus points is how I'm thinking about playing out the trilogy. Plus there's this, all this stuff going on underneath the story that I want to play out over the three books. There are a lot of different little threads running through this book with a lot of different characters, with a lot of different POVs, which I really enjoy. Um, will your second book be a standalone, even if it's a sequel? Will someone be able to pick up the next book and read it and know what's going on? Hmm, that's a good question. I, the way that I'm working on it now, I think it's possible because there's a time jump. Each book has like a space between. Right. And it's filling in some of that space, but through that, you're getting to know the characters again. And so I, you know what? Honestly, I would have to see if someone, if someone picked up the second book and they were able to follow it, then I would know for sure. But, um, what I'm trying to do, and I'm also introducing new characters as well. So it's um, it's kind of a mixed bag. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But that's okay. That's part of the creative process, right? Figuring out as mm-hmm. you go along. Yeah. Do you, um, are you particularly fond of dialogue? Because you're, it's beautiful. Your dialogue is wonderful. I appreciate that. Um, that, that is music to my ears. I, I agonize over dialogue. You like, you know, I sit, I sit with that, you know, I wouldn't say the longest, but I, I feel like I can't move on until it's, it feels right, you know? And yeah. if, if I have placeholder dialogue, I know it's placeholder dialogue. You know, it's like, right. if I need to set that down to move on, I'm like, I know what, you know, it's junk and I know I need to come back and make it feel right. You know, I just, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of things that I've had to learn um through studying craft like i you know i read a lot of you know writers that i admire and i read them again and again to try to you know right to learn from them i you right. know that's my school you know um but dialogue is like a sense thing for me like i i i feel it when it's right um and then then i can move on and you do you think that comes from you being a big question and answer guy when you were little? You ask a lot Maybe. of questions. You wanted a, a lot of sensory input and everything. Um, well, it's spectacular. It's really lovely. Um, Thank you. Who's your first reader? Oh, who 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 I like? Do I share my work with the you know earliest? Um, my wife. Yeah, she's. Um, she doesn't like I. So this for this book, No Gods, No Monsters, we're reading it together now. Um, we're actually like, um, she wanted to read it with me. And so we, 
um, decided to listen to it with Dion. You know, Dion Graham narrates the book. So we um, decided to do it that way. Um, but usually I send, she reads like an earlier draft of the thing. Um, and as I'm working through a book, I'll like have little chunks and I'll be like, here, um, let me read this to you. Or could you read this and tell me what you think? And she's very honest, which is really great. She'll tell me like, I have no idea. This is frustratingly difficult for me. <laughs> and then I'm, then I'll go back and I'll try to rework it. And I make sure that you it's- have someone who's, you know, reading it out loud is really important, I think, but mm-hmm. also that you're having someone who's not giving a little stroke to you and saying, that's fine, honey, keep going. You know, I mean, right. you need to have that honesty as a jump off point. And um, so I think that's exactly. interesting. Whose books do you like to read? Who do you, who are you reading now? Right now, I'm reading. Um, I I just started Dune. <laughs> I just started the Dune book. Um, you're crazy. I, Trust me when I tell you, you're not gonna. You'll, <laughs> you'll be so wrapped up in that book. It's gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna bleed <laughs> onto your pages. It's just so hard. There's so many characters there. Right. I I think I'm gonna enjoy that because I kind of like that. Well. I love I like that ensemble book. cast. I um, love that book. Yes, you have an ensemble going on here, a smaller one, true. Right, right. But it's important. You have a lot of characters that are interacting or overlapping, and I I really Mm -hmm. like that a lot. It makes me curious as what's going to happen in the second book. I'm finding out some of that, too, as I go. Um, I'm also reading Spinning Silver um, by Naomi. Naomi, I'm loving that. Um, I also, you know, I just recently um, read Uprooted. Is that right? Is that Uprooted oh, is Naomi's first one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. I love um, that book. Yeah, uh, the Glass Hotel was something I just read recently. Um, yeah. I had meant to go back to Emily St. John Mandel after reading Station Eleven, but I read Station Eleven in November, and then the pandemic happened, <laughs> like a few months later, and I and it took me a while to get back to her, but right. I I absolutely love her work. Um, do you read um Do you read multiple books at once? I do. I hop around a bit. I do too. Right. Yeah. I'm also reading um, the last novella of the Murderbot books. Oh yeah. Um, and I'm also reading a lot of nonfiction because I'm doing it for research. But yeah, I I hop around quite a bit. Um, my favorite author, I need to mention this, is um, Ursula Le Guin, and she shows oh, up. She, oh, she yeah. pops up a lot in the book. Oh right? yeah, I think I have every book of hers on my science fiction shelf. Uh, Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, in every possible way. Uh, it is the world building skills are so amazing, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They, really and they, and they always feel layers deep. It's not just here's some world building detail. It's like here's what it feels like in the bones of the characters. They're it's they're like living a, the world building. A twenty layer cake that you can't wait to just go through each layer. It right. truly is spectacular. Yes, right. I um, I am sad that I never had an opportunity to interview her. She was going to be on one of the other shows that I produce, and um became ill and we couldn't do the interview mm. so it's uh heartbreaking but what a spectacular I, I really but, wanted to meet her too you know it's, it's, i i am in a book uh, a reader group uh and someone said i'm having a really hard time with ursula's book and i said you just you have to put away all your preconceived notions and just sink into the storytelling of it all because it's mm-hmm. so well done don't you think Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, my favorite book from her is The Dispossessed, and that also yes. makes an appearance in in the um in the book. And 
my wife was reading it and she was having a very difficult time with it. And it's, you know, she can, you know, Le Guin is very idea rich too. She has a really great grasp of character and world and, you know, the social context, but she can also, she can be very confusing if you're not not careful. It can be very confusing. You have to be in the mindset to read her work. I agree. Mm -hmm. Whereas like Naomi Novik or Lee Bardugo, to me, that's just pure joy. It's so joyful to read those books, regardless mm-hmm. of what's happening. Like, you know, we talked about Six of Crows. I mean, I was so immersed in that book that nothing was happening around me. But you really have to get, I think when you read science fiction, fantasy, you have to have a mindset for that, too. You can't jump mm-hmm. into it after being, you know, a literary fiction reader and expect to understand what's going on. So mm-hmm. but you have to... You have to have a certain tolerance to, for being out to sea, and yes. and Le Guin especially with, for, Le, with her. Sending disbelief on certain things. Yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Cadwell, it's so lovely to talk to you today. Tell everyone where we can find you on social media and your website. We know is is posted right now. It's CadwellTurnbull.com. Where else are you? Yeah, I I just had a great time talking to you. Thank you so much. I Thank just wanted you. to say that. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I'm very easy to find. I I have not met another Cadwell Turnbull alive. So there you go. Um, <laughs> all my handles are Cadwell Turnbull or Cadwell Turnbull author. So on on Twitter it's Cadwell Turnbull. On Instagram it's Cadwell Turnbull author. Um, is I'm I'm very easy to find. And my website is CadwellTurnbull.com. And it's lovely. I love your website. A lot of information on there. It's a lot of fun. Um, the book is No Gods, No Monsters by my guest Cadwell Turnbull. I hope you buy the book. Uh, get the Kindle if you have to. It is a spectacular treatise in the fantasy world, but on social and political issues that are happening nowadays. You, it's spectacular. Congratulations on your professorship over at um, North Carolina. You are teaching um literature and english creative writing creative writing fiction and that's going well for you we showed a little clip of the video of you in the introduction here i don't know if you saw it while you Mm -hmm. were scrolling up and talking to your classes are you enjoying being a teacher i am um that those that video was like right before i got the job actually i was doing an event and because i'm an i'm an alumni of nc state as well and so they reached out to me and they were like could we do like a little feature on you and i was i was just so grateful um and you know maybe maybe a few months after that I, i started going through the process of you know applying for the for the position then i got the letter right before the pandemic it was like weeks it was oh like, wow yeah and um i moved during the pandemic and it was you know it it's been it's been a beautiful and surreal experience at the same time but what a way to come out of something you know you've 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 overcome or adapted to all the changes in your life when you went mm-hmm. to pittsburgh and of course i know you still go home and everything you've gotten married you've you've published books you're so popular right now and you're teaching what you love what a wonderful life that you're doing you're l- doing what you love not many people get the chance to say that i, wish I know it's thank you so much there's so much i have so much gratitude it's That's also good. just like i have to you know pinch myself and because it feels it just everything feels surreal 
you know, and it's also, you know, speaks to the times that we're in. Like there's so much that's been happening in the last few years. It's, it's, it's just been, been a tumultuous, a wild ride. And a, and a, a, yeah, it has been. It is definitely a wild ride. Tur- Kendall Turner, thank you for being with me today. I, it's been my absolute joy to have you here. Please come back when the next book is out. I will. Yes. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs>